Welcome to season two of What on Earth Can We Do? I'm Gregory Caswell. And I'm Colleen Nook. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back in the recording studio again with you, Colleen, even though it's a little bit different. I'm sitting at my in my office at the Edmonton Community Foundation, and I'm seeing you across my laptop in your home studio. I know I'm such I'm such a body dune. I'm such a great multitasker right now. I'm basically <laughs> doing this podcast and online shopping. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, for those of you who are new to What on Earth Can We Do, Colleen and I, first of all, I should probably tell you about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, the not-for-profit charity mm-hmm. that's behind this whole thing. Um, so the Alberta Emerald Foundation showcases and inspires our province's environmental achievements um, through a number of different programs, but the one that most people have probably heard about are the Emerald Awards. So what we thought we would do with this podcast, knowing that Colleen and I are pretty good at representing the average Albertan (laughs) who wants to be doing more in the face of climate change for the environment. I embrace Uh, my averageness. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm really good at telling the stories of our environmental leaders. I need work at becoming a better environmental leader. So what we thought we would do is uh, create a podcast using the very unique position that the Alberta Emerald Foundation is in where we actually have access to the people who know the things that we could be doing to become better environmental stewards. And so uh, if you want to catch up on season one, there's lots of interesting topics and we're so excited about the topics that, that we'll be exploring in season two with the 29th annual Emerald Award recipients. Uh, this season though has been very bizarre. Uh Last year, we were able to sit in a in a podcast studio together, and this year, we had some very definite challenges oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. in the face it's of been, COVID-19. It's been a ride. Yeah. Uh, Colleen, uh, I, I, I feel like I, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about the journey, because in this episode, which is our first one, we had the first moment where we handed a microphone to a guest and we realized that we had just broken every single protocol that, oh that, that was in place. It was such a learning process. Um, so we ended up having to buy, we bought a mic and then we went out into the field to record these podcasts with some people. But I realized that the cord that I had purchased <laughs> wasn't long enough. Wasn't long enough. So... It was outstretched to the max. Um, <laughs> we're all sitting, you know, six feet away and this cord is six feet. So it was almost like we were playing tug of war with this mic. So, yeah, there was a lot of pivoting going on, um, yep, yep, a yep, lot yep, of yep. learning along the way. But I feel like we've found our groove now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we made it. And I I am so grateful to all of our guests, all of our all of the people featured on the podcast for being flexible and and um, going on this journey with us because it's um, it's it's definitely a vulnerable place to be. Uh, not only sharing your stories, but also also doing it in a very in a very challenging and and kind of compromised way. So, a big thank you to all of our guests on on this season for for going on this journey with us and and helping us create this podcast and helping us inspire other people like Colleen and I uh, with your amazing tips and suggestions and your knowledge. So our first episode, uh, which we're about to present to you in just a moment here, is called Tree Huggers. And 
I we're we're doing it kind of t- uh, tongue in cheek. Tree huggers has always had this sort of negative connotation, and I think it's time that we reclaim that term. <laughs> um, the more that we learned about trees, the more the the that we learned about their importance and the people behind them, who typically would have been called a tree hugger, um, and previously that would have been a horrible thing. I, I said, you know what? No, you love trees, and there's a reason behind it. So we wanted to call it tree huggers. Um, and the, th- the reason that we decided to focus on this as, as a topic is that trees, I, I think the general public, wouldn't you say, Colleen, the general public knows that trees are important for the environment. Oh, yeah. I think that's but, a pretty a, a pretty well-known fact. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say what the Alberta curriculum is, but I feel like around grade four, I, I learned this in grade four science. But I think that I forgot the why. I mean, we're told to plant trees, but we didn't really know the why. So we wanted to dedicate a whole episode to just that. So here we go. Welcome to season two. maintain moisture in that ecosystem because if you think about how evapotranspiration happens if you have just an open area okay i'm talking maybe too high level i won't say evapotranspiration or, or again that's rebecca adams agroforestry technician at awes agroforestry and woodlot extension society and yes we didn't understand that either but we will because today we are talking all about trees why they're so important for both rural and urban landscapes. And with us on this journey are three tree huggers who have spent their entire careers focusing on why trees matter. I'm Gregory Caswell. And I'm Colleen Nook. Welcome to season two of What on Earth Can We Do? All right, I'm Megan Andre. And I'm the incoming executive director for Oz. Oz works with uh, farmers, uh, typically, and we develop shelter belts or eco buffers around agricultural land. Okay, I'm just gonna hop in here quickly, just in case there's some confusion. A W E S, Oz, and Awes are all the same thing. Everyone just has a little bit of a different way of saying it. A-W-E-S, Oz, and Awes are all the same thing, except for everyone has a different way of saying it. But basically, it stands for the Agroforestry and Woodlot Extension Society. And although it took us a little while to understand what they do, it's basically a not-for-profit that helps rural landowners make the most of their land by planting and protecting trees. And they're also this year's Emerald Award winner in the not-for-profit grassroots category. All right, and then one more thing. There are two important definitions I think we need to establish here before jumping back in. What on earth is a shelter belt and an eco buffer? <laughs> okay, so a shelter belt is a line of trees or shrubs planted to protect an area, especially a farm field, from strong winds and the erosion that they cause. An eco buffer is an intentional planting of trees in a location that provides shelter from environmental conditions. Got it, got it. I, I just have to kind of confess something. It's a little embarrassing. I honestly thought that those trees were just there because nature intended it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I honestly thought the same thing. And 
a lot of them are naturally there, but there are also a lot of shelter belts and ego buffers that organizations like always plant to, to help these rural landowners with their land. So pretty cool. So this eco buffer typically has a mixed variety of uh, coniferous and deciduous tree species and shrubby species as well. And they're integrated into the landscape um, to provide significant benefit to the area. There's many benefits to doing that that would result in crop yield, increases in pollinators, increases in productive land, and shelter to livestock, for example. Uh, Especially when you're looking at a cattle operation, you know your cattle really have better outcomes when they do have shelter from extreme weather. But we also work with uh, rural landowners, and a lot of the smaller rural landowners, like acreage owners, they're looking for benefits to their smaller property and benefits to their home. Having a shelter belt around your property and some of the impacts of that protection, that can result in a a 20 to 40% decrease in your energy bills um, with respect to heating and cooling costs of your home. You take out certain amounts of marginal land to uh, put in trees or, or you leave trees there or something like that. So the production in that particular area is obviously lower, but the yield increase a couple of meters away and in the field as a whole have been shown, especially for hay, to increase um, as a result of having that marginal land um, in tree cover. So there are studies that show there are benefits. It's not necessarily applicable to all crops. Um, I know, I think there's soybeans are one where it's not necessarily that that same correlation, um, but but definitely hay. And there is more research being done um, by the University of Alberta here right now to measure some of the additional benefits on other crops um, by, by being adjacent to, to um, shelter belts and that kind of thing. All right, so while learning about shelter belts and eco-buffers, our initial thought was, well, this seems to be a win-win for everyone involved. But there are some barriers for farmers in taking that step to either plant or protect the trees on their land, production being one of the main reasons. Well, a lot of the barriers that farmers are facing in retaining forested areas on their property uh, root back to old ideas and old thoughts on the value of forested areas on their land. A lot of that goes back to productive, productive land. So how many areas can you seed and harvest typically is thought how high your yield will be. We're finding now that improved agricultural practices and especially incorporating trees into that landscape, uh, there's a lot of direct and indirect benefits to having those eco-buffers or those shelter belts in place. So sheltering your crop from uh, significant weather um, provides a better growing uh, season, resulting in higher yields uh, in the areas closer to your shelter belts and eco-buffers, as well as additions to um, habitat for pollinators. That's not even referencing a lot of the indirect benefits that forested areas provide. So just having a row of trees near your agricultural land um, can provide retention of water or entrapment of snow uh, in the winter to set your crop up for a successful growing season. A lot of the farmers who aren't open to seeing the benefits of increasing trees on their property. Uh, They're still believing that if they can get that tractor through the wetland, if they can convert that acre to 
um, tilled and seeded and And then we were interrupted by a squirrel and cat. Nature. All right. I think it's settled down. It's all settled. All of the squirrels survived. You know, to Colleen and I, it all sounded like a win-win. So we really were starting to wonder what barriers are in in the way of farmers from wanting to actually take this on. So a lot of the old school mindset that if you can get your tractor through that wetland, if you can till it, you can seed it, and you can harvest it, you're going to have an agricultural yield from that area. And a lot of that process, it maybe isn't being actualized every year. Like sure, you can get through that area and you can seed it and you can you can get through it maybe this year. But next year, you're gonna spend the money on the fuel to pull through that area and it's gonna end up being too wet. So you're not gonna see the yield come off of that wetland area. And that may be the process year after year. Um, you're looking at uh, trends in weather and trends in rainfall. So you'll have a series of years that are maybe drier. And we've just come from nearly a decade of really dry years. And we're really headed into some more years where there's increased rainfall. And a lot of the landowners and farmers that we're talking with, they're not having success in pulling through all of those wet areas where perhaps they have uh, seeded and harvested previously, they're not able to do that anymore. So they're looking to find a productive use uh, and perhaps benefit their farm as well. So in restoring that wetland, um, in restoring tree cover to that area, they can see an increase in pollinators, an increase in shelter to their agricultural land nearby, and an increase in yields associated with having that forested area rather than the unproductive wetland that's bare from increased water. So like as far as crop yields go, it's a little bit tricky because we, Oz traditionally didn't do a lot of monitoring of the yield increases. So that's kind of this project that we're teamed up with the University of Alberta and the Institute for Boreal Research. Um, we're doing this project called Murdoch Lake up in the northern region and actually trying to move it down here so we can actually monitor the increase in yields and stuff like that by, by having tree cover next to, in this case, hay fields. So, um... I wouldn't say that there's necessarily like a lot of concrete measurable evidence at this point, but for sure there's like converts where people who were more traditionally involved in conventional agriculture have um, by not necessarily just by our involvement, but by like involvement in multiple different stewardship organizations in Alberta have converted their practices into something a little bit more sustainable. So although there's still this mentality that the more productive land you have, the better or bigger your crop will be. Um, that's slowly that's slowly changing already, that mentality shift. But we should even see more of this mentality shift once there's more data proving that having these shelter belts and having these eco buffers will actually be beneficial to these rural landowners. Yeah. It is happening. It's a little bit tricky, and I think that's the unfortunate part is a lot of the landowners we deal with have some way, in some way been involved in stewardship organizations or are already in that mindset and maybe are more willing to um, change their practices or adapt their practices um, as opposed to maybe who we want our, our audience to be, which is some of those people that are a little bit more dead set against changing their practices and adapting to incorporate more stewardship activities so we still have some work to do I think. (laughs) 
my favorite landowner, and I hate to pick favorites, but she is my favorite, um, is a wonderful lady out in Camrose County. And um, she inherited her farm, her family farm, from her father, and then took on the um, the cropping practices, and um, definitely started to see that there were these wet areas that were um, developing on her land that they had traditionally cropped all the way through, and um, had moved towards the idea that maybe there was like a better use for this. So we started our project with her probably, I would say two and a half, maybe three years ago. So moving more in towards um, revitalizing and like revegetating wetlands on her area, taking those areas out of crop production, knowing she was going to have that loss of yield for that particular area, but also seeing the benefits. Definitely pollinator habitat is one of her, her key things. Um, which is really important to her because she is not only a grain farmer, but occasionally does canola. And, and, you know, obviously the pollinators can benefit canola because they are a flowering species and rely typically on non-native pollinators to do that pollination work. Like she's probably my favorite example of somebody who was from a really traditional farming family that did this kind of work in Alberta for a long time, plowed through all those wetlands and then has really been taking the extra step to restore them and, and putting a lot of work into doing it. Um, and has actually had great success. So it sounds like there's a lot of amazing opportunities in the rural community where trees can play an important role. But what about in the city? We decided to head back to our hometown of Edmonton, Alberta, uh, to have an interview with a representative from our city government. It should be important to note, though, that we did this interview on Zoom, so it's going to sound a little bit different. It's the times we live in. So my name is Caitlin Webb, and I'm currently working at the City of Edmonton as a community forestry leader. Community forestry is all about engaging the citizens with the forest around them. We really work to make sure we educate people about the importance of trees and the many benefits that they provide. Part of that also is um, engaging the community in a way that they can really get hands-on with what's around them. One of that, one of those aspects is uh, the Root for Trees program, which is a volunteer tree planting program. Um, and we have a goal to plant 45,000 native trees and shrubs every single year within the city. Um, another way that we engage communities with tree protection and preservation is through the Neighborhood Renewal Program. Um, and through that program, uh, we have urban foresters that are dedicated to neighborhoods that are undergoing construction. So when um, a neighborhood undergoes construction, they're regrading their sidewalks and their driveways and the roads, they're getting new streetlights, and all of that's really invasive for trees. So they do require protection and we make sure we have those urban foresters on the ground to ensure that the roots are protected during this stage, but also to um, engage the community and let them know that we're here to protect their trees and that we want these mature trees to be as long around as long as possible, just as much as they want the trees there. Okay, so there was something that piqued my interest in what you said is that how do you get to the number you, you said that the goal was to plant 45,000 trees how do you get to that number where did you find that number where did you pull that number out of <laughs> so back in 2012 the city um, put together an urban forest management plan 
So it was created with the intent um, to find ways to engage the community, but it also indicated that um, we wanted to grow our canopy cover. So what was done at that time is we discovered that the canopy cover within the city is, was currently at 10%. So that was back in 2012. And then the goal was to double that canopy cover. So we wanted to increase it to 20%. Gregory? Yes, Colleen? Do you know what a canopy cover is? You know, I think I have an idea, but I'd love it if you just gave me the definition. Okay, so Caitlin actually explained it to us perfectly. And she said that if you were to look down at your city from like a Google map perspective, yeah, it's the amount of area that's actually covered over your city with those leaves and foliage and trees and needles from the trees that are within the, the city limits. So it's like basically anything that's green. And here's what's really cool about Edmonton. Edmonton has the largest amount of green space in all of North America when we're talking about urban cities. Super cool. Wow. I'm so proud of our city. I'm so proud of our city. Um, and that that's in Alberta. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say that. So I, I decided to ask Caitlin what the benefits of trees are in cities. Um, one of the big roles that trees play, especially in urban environments, um, is to help mitigate the urban heat island effect. And what that is, it's an urban area that's significantly warmer than surrounding rural areas just due to human activities. So the main cause that we'd get this heat island effect in a city is because of the modification of our land surfaces. So as a city expands and develops, of course we're gonna lose some of that natural landscape just due to the dense concentration of pavements and buildings. You can think about a downtown area. Um, some people might call it like a concrete jungle. But the importance of having trees around is they'll actually help to cool the environment by lowering that surface and air temperature. And that's just through the shade that they provide, but also through the process of evapotranspiration, which is the release of water vapor into the air. So if trees are planted strategically in cities, we can actually cool the um, buildings and the pavement in major downtown areas, or we can even reduce our heating and cooling bills just in our homes if you have a boulevard tree in front of your house. And then if we think about that in terms of like climate change and mitigating climate change, the more we're reducing our energy consum consumption by heating and cooling, we're just reducing more of those greenhouse gases um, that would be released into the atmosphere. And then beyond that, it just it continues to be like a domino effect. Like trees are built biologically to help um, get rid of that carbon dioxide. They just do that through the process of photosynthesis. So they have a lot of benefits in an urban environment um, beyond just kind of reducing um, the temperature in cities and then the combating climate change. I mean, they help to mitigate um, stormwater and the amount of impact that it has on our drainage systems just because their roots are so extensive. It improves the air quality, removes pollutants um, in our atmosphere, removes toxins. Trees will um, filter out rainwater so it improves the quality of the water in our city. And of course they provide habitat and corridors for wildlife, reduce soil erosions. The list is so extensive. And then I mean, that doesn't even get into the social aspects of having trees around and just the feeling of being able to walk through the river valley or just being around trees. It, it really um, has a positive impact on mental health. Why, why do you feel the city of Edmonton has made such a priority around urban forestry? I think um, they just recognize the benefits of trees and truly so do the citizens. We get so much feedback um, about how important trees and the forest are to citizens' well-being. 
And I think that it's just recognized that this is a tree city. It's a city with beautiful parks and green spaces. Um, one of the things that a lot of people pride themselves on, or at least at the city we do, is that um, two thirds of Edmonton, Edmontonians live within 10 minutes of a naturalized green space. So that's an area that is um, naturalized and native and a very healthy ecosystem and they can live within 10 minutes walking distance of that and that's really wonderful and I think the citizens um, express that they like that and I, I know that the city takes a priority in that for that reason but there's so many benefits of trees beyond that whether it's environmental, ecological, economic and social um, I think those benefits are recognized and the city definitely responds and makes sure that we want to embrace those benefits that trees have. So that's why trees are so super important to cities. And what's really cool is to hear that urban forestry is actually getting more and more popular, which basically means people living in cities are caring more and more about their trees. So I've been working, I guess, in the urban forestry industry for about seven years. And um, it's definitely the busyness has increased for sure. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with people are so connected now and we're talking about climate change and we're talking about the impacts and there's political leaders making promises to plant a certain number of trees and I think that has sparked people's interest and they are kind of getting in touch with their municipalities to ask like what are you doing what can we do we'd love to learn more um, and get involved so I think that's a big part just through the root for trees program the amount of volunteers has just increased year after year after year and then this year, I think it's especially busy because people are at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I think people are at home and they're looking outside and they're visiting their parks as an alternative to other things that they might be doing. And they're really connecting with the nature around them, but they're also asking questions too. So they're calling into the city to say, hey, this beautiful boulevard tree outside of my home, you know, it kind of looks like maybe there's some hazard branches. Can you come take a look? Or maybe there's a pest that, a, someone might be concerned about. I think people are just connecting with the outside in a different way that they haven't before. You had mentioned that the city is taking into consideration new types of trees uh, because of climate change and the change in temperature. Um, can you talk a little bit on that? So biodiversity has been something that the city has been talking about for a while. Um, the reason being in that our temperature is changing, that that's coming, that's happening. And we want to start growing trees that we know are going to be adapted to a new temperature, a new climate that's around us. Um, as we get warmer, we're going to be able to have different trees that maybe have never grown in the city of Edmonton before. Um, but something else to consider is that as it gets warmer, there's also going to be the introduction of new pests and diseases into cities. Um, so to consider a long-term plan for urban forestry, it's important to have a lot of species biodiversity. In the event that a pest does arrive, you don't want it to wipe out your entire tree canopy just because you've only planted one or two or three different major species. By increasing your biodiversity, you have a better chance of making sure those pests and disease don't control all of your trees or wipe out that canopy. Um, I guess that kind of brings me a little bit to um, talking a bit about naturalization. So wh what is naturalization and does that help with the same thing as maybe bring in different, like does that help with the overall urban mm -hmm. canopy? So put really simply, naturalization is just like an ecologically based approach to landscape management. So it's kind of used to transform a highly maintained land into a green space that has more qualities that are reflective of a natural and healthy ecosystem. 
So I guess you could think about an area of mowed turf and that's truly all that it is. It's just simply an area of grass that's maintained regularly throughout the year. And then turning into a space that's flourishing with biodiversity. So native trees that provide habitat for wildlife, fruit bearing shrubs, um, abundance of wildflowers to attract pollinators, truly a space that's gonna provide many benefits, both for the environment and the surrounding communities. And by naturalizing our land, we are removing that space that typically might not be used. So areas that will naturalize might be along arterial and collector roadways, um, underused parks, maybe around stormwater ponds. So areas that communities or people wouldn't necessarily congregate around anyways. So instead of just mowing them constantly and not really getting that environmental benefit out of that short grass, we're naturalizing to create an ecosystem that's truly flourishing, that is gonna be able to attract the habitat. It's going to be able to sequester so much more carbon than just short grass that's growing there. And it's going to give off oxygen and create spaces that are really lovely and um, act as such a beautiful ecosystem that humans and wildlife can enjoy. Mm -hmm. So when somebody calls in and they're like, hey, you guys need to mow this section, you respond back being like, no, this is important. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's been a change and we've noticed that um, there has been a shift in attitudes. We definitely do have people who really like a maintained look, but there's so many benefits to naturalization and the city of Edmonton is kind of standing by those benefits. And we're actually hearing from other cities in the province as well saying, we love your naturalization program. Tell us what it took to get you there because we want to implement that too in our cities as well. Okay, so we've learned today how important trees are for both rural and urban landscapes. So that now brings us to our next question, Gregory. Our question, <laughs> what on earth can we do? Um, so Caitlin answered that pretty, pretty simply. Um, I would say my top tip would just be to plant. Whether you're planting trees or gardens or wildflowers, Whatever it is, the benefits all add up and we truly are giving back to the environment, but you're benefiting yourself as well. Just you gain so much for your mental health from planting um, around you. And if space might be a limiting factor sometimes in urban areas, you can kind of think about spaces in creative ways. So think about vacant lots or flower bar barrels and parking lots, maybe a front yard garden box. You can even turn your own front yard into a naturalized area. Um, sometimes you have to think creatively, but the results are so lovely. Um, another thing that I would really recommend is just to invest some time in learning more about the nature that is around you. It might be something as simple as learning the species name of the tree outside of your home. You might learn that it's a baroque or a Manitoba maple. Um, the important thing there is that studies have indicated that when you learn the name of something, biologically speaking, you begin to care more about that thing. You kind of take pride in it, you take ownership over it, and you want to ensure its well-being. Um, so I think that's a really lovely thing to do is just learn about the nature around you and kind of let that impact of this thing and the benefits that it has soak in and it, you kind of, yeah, you feel a sense of ownership over it, which is really nice. A lot of cities um, have a really cool tool um, and it's called a tree map. So the one specific to Edmonton is called YEG tree map. 
and all of the public trees are inventoried in a database on there. So you can pull it up on your phone or your computer and as long as you have GIS that shows you where you are, all these little dots pop up around you and you can kind of click on the dots and it will tell you um, what the tree's name is, what the scientific name is, and then depending on what map you're looking at, it might also tell you about some of the ecosystem benefits that it provides. I would say a large part of my role kind of as it's evolved um, is just engagement with people about the importance and the benefits of the trees. And some of the things that we do is we have large social media campaigns um, where we talk about the benefits of the trees and try to provide as much education we can, but in a fun and exciting sort of way. So something I would really recommend if people have the opportunity is to find like-minded communities and like-minded people and groups on social media. We live like in such a connected world and I love tailoring my Twitter feed to people who love to talk about trees and plants because you can truly go on a journey with them. Um, they'll post what they see in their cities and it's so exciting to respond to them or kind of post what you see around you and you can kind of go on a journey together. And I've learned so much just through using those tools. I mean, I can have a formal education and I can learn as much as I want just by Googling um, online, but to be able to connect with other people and learn the ways that people are connecting with nature around them, I think is really important. And it's um, a really nice way to stay connected in our day and age. Um, and it's, I think it's beneficial to the urban forest because the more we know and the more people are truly engaged with what's around them and the benefits, the better it is. And Rebecca from Awes had this to say. I think it's important also for people to know what's native to your to your landscape and like what's native to your area. Because like we said before, some of these principles are applicable not only to people that have a rural property or an acreage, but like even if you're planting things in your backyard, I think it's interesting to know um, like what is native to your area. And there's different sources that you can find online through the government of Alberta, we have a we have a native species database that we're developing and going to be releasing on our website where people can actually go and, and do just that. Um, not to just like, you know, sideline advertise our new platform, but I'm going to definitely check out our native species database in which you can find native trees and shrubs to your particular region. But um, I think that's important, too, because like another big thing is like pollinators and, and native insects are like attracted to native trees and they are, there's a lot of beautiful species that we have that are, you know, come right from here. So get more familiarized with that. Okay, Gregory, we learned a lot today. You know, that that, that was really interesting to, to go back into. I, I know that we joked a little bit about this being sort of like grade four science, like trees <laughs> seemed pretty basic when we started off, but I just learned so much about trees that maybe I had forgotten or maybe I hadn't realized yet. I think it gave me a little bit more of an appreciation for um, for the trees in our city. Because, you know, I love going outside and I love our river valley, but I actually don't give our trees much thought. I, they're definitely something that are pretty easy to take for granted. Um, I, I kind of want to go and plant a tree and it's kind of sad that right now, um, as we're recording this in October, that, that season has kind of passed. But I am really looking forward to, to the spring and maybe looking at, at adding some trees to my property. Because, I mean, not only is it going to cut down on on uh, some of the costs of my home, but I, I'm, I'm really starting to love my, my garden and my backyard. So I, I think a few more trees back there would definitely help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think after 
chatting with everyone. Um, I know this is kind of a cop out, but I feel like I just want to learn what kind of tree I have in my front yard. And then write a love letter to that tree, please. <laughs> and, and let me read it. I would it. love to proofread it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, that kind of takes me a little bit into um, the two websites that you can go and uh, get to know your plants and trees. So the one that's in the city for the, for the city of Edmonton, you can go to opentreemap.org slash Edmonton slash map and um, get to know the types of trees that are around your city, like Caitlin mentioned. And then the database for AWES, uh, which I think just went up now, is aws-ab.ca slash species. So check them both out. Let's 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 learn the names of our trees. Yeah. A lot of us are probably not in grade four anymore, but that doesn't mean we don't stop learning about trees. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. See you next time. What on Earth Can We Do is presented by the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a non-for-profit charity that showcases and inspires our province's environmental achievements. The guests are Emerald Award recipients, Nominations for the 30th Annual Emerald Awards open on November 2nd, 2020 and close February 12th, 2021 at emeraldfoundation.ca. We would like to thank our sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, the City of Edmonton, the City of Calgary, the Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited. To learn more about our programs or to make a donation, please visit emeraldfoundation.ca. Next time on What on Earth Can We Do? Gregory nearly passes out on a field trip. Colleen learns just how many people use K-Pods. And we learn all about biomass and biofuel. <laughs>